Are you ready to take your message, your business, and your life to the next level? Want to learn from someone with more than a decade of experience, training tens of thousands of people from all around the world? Hi, Cliff. This is Pauline from Auckland, New Zealand. John from Calgary, Alberta. Amy Porterfield. Michael Hyatt. Dan here from Dunedin, New Zealand. Ray Edwards. Mark Mason. Mike Stelzner. Pat from Smart Passive Income. It's Darren from Melbourne, Australia. Now is the time to live the life of your dreams and do the work you feel most called to do in the That's right, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. And I am super excited because this week begins several weeks of very focused content. The content over the next several weeks will be focused on having conversations with great friends of mine. And the express purpose of these conversations is to introduce to you the folks who will be speaking on the stage at the Free the Dream conference. And I realize I have some friends of that'll be speaking on the stage that many of you people have heard me talk about week after week after week. There's no doubt in my mind that at least 98% of you have heard the name Dan Miller, I can't imagine anybody that hasn't heard me talk about my friend Ray Edwards. Uh, but there are some folks that I have invited to speak on the stage that I love just as much as these guys. And I desperately want to make sure that you guys have an understanding of who these people are, how they show up in the world, and why I am eager to share my stage with them to allow them to be a part of helping you free the dream inside of you. The purpose here, by the way, is not to interview them. This is a conversation and there is not a person speaking on my stage that I don't call my close personal friend. And one of them that I'm introducing to you right now, John C. Morgan. John, how are you, my friend? I'm doing so good. It's not even fair. You know, John, it has been years. I think it was might have been February 2012 or 2013, the very first platform conference where you and I first met. And as I recall, that was just about your first speaking engagement. It was my first, let's just say, nerve-wracking speaking engagement. It was the, <laughs> it was the first it was the first no, it was it was the second paid speaking gig that I had done. But it was the first one that really, it was one of those professional things that I couldn't afford to screw up, if you know what I mean. Because some of the other ones, there was a lot more grace involved. But this one was for Michael Hyatt and his platform conference. And I, I was feeling the pressure and the stress of, of trying to pull that one off. But it, it, was, it was a fun time. It was fun. And you did a great job. And most importantly, I became your friend that weekend. It was so much fun. You know, I, what? I, what's crazy is just how quickly you and I became friends. I, it's, I don't know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't normally experience like how we hit it off. It happens every now and then. I'm not saying that I, I'm, I'm a difficult person to, to build relationship with, but I, there was just something. I mean, like we hung out that weekend or that yeah. week or whatever. It's like we went out to dinner. You were Price saying- we we were st- you were you were staying at somebody's house and and you invited me back to their house and we did an interview you were actually on this podcast i can't even remember what episode number that was but uh anyway we've been friends for years it's been fun and and 
I'm surprised to hear you say that you don't hit it off like that with everyone because I thought it was you. I thought this guy is so warm and so inviting. I feel like we've known each other for years. What a neat guy you are. Well, you know, here's the, okay, here's, I'd love to, I, I don't know where, I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole, but since, yeah. since we're on this thread, I, 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 I'm wondering what I mean by that. So here's what I'm saying is that obviously at that event, I met about 150 new people that I've never met before. You were among 150 people. Right. All right. And obviously I can't go and spend the amount of time having dinner and then going back to, you know, somebody's house and spending time and then having the desire, number one, to immediately say, hey, do you mind if I get my recorder and we record a podcast interview? I want to introduce you to my community. Uh, That just doesn't happen for everyone. And not only that, but it can't happen for everyone. So, but there was something about our connection that's like, man, I, I, if I could have the opportunity to spend more time with this human being, I, I feel I feel a nudge in my heart. Almost, I feel the Holy Spirit saying, you know what? Invite him out to lunch and invite him to be a guest on your podcast. This is somebody that I want you to connect with. And it's very cool. And I've spent much, much time with you uh, going on walks, listening to your podcast while you're going on walks. And uh, it just, just your vulnerability Cliff, and making yourself accessible through your podcast and just being real with folks, there's really not a lot of pretense with you, and it makes it real easy to get to know you, you know, and I like that. Hey, have you, are you, are you a Netflix subscriber? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so on Netflix, have you seen that David, David Letterman has this show called um, the, the Next Guest or whatever, Needs No Introduction? I don't know what it's called. The ne- Something Next? I, I don't know. No, I don't. Okay. Well, it, it's, all, it's on your Netflix. I'm sure, I, I'm sure it is. And okay. just because I know you and you're a good friend and, and, I, and I feel like I could give you a recommendation and I think if I told you, you might enjoy this interview – it may shock you to hear which interview I'm telling you to go and listen or to go and watch. Um, but I really encourage you to go look up the David Letterman program. That's it's a Netflix original, and it's and it's the interview he does with Howard Stern. Oh wow! Okay, it is an incredible interview. Matter of fact, um, I watched the one on Barack Obama. Uh, so he interviews Barack Obama. I, I have not watched any of the other ones. There's Tina Fey is on there. There's uh, George Clooney uh, and a couple other people and stuff like that. And and I, I'm I'm not the biggest David Letterman fan in the world. Although you know I do remember watching him when he first started his late night show when I was a little tiny kid. And and so I you know I know who David is. And uh, but anyway, I, I this this new program on Netflix doesn't appeal to me a whole lot. And I and by the way, I am no Howard Stern fan. I've never listened to more than maybe a couple of shock jock audio clips of what the Howard Stern show is about. It's just not my cup of tea, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. However, it was about three months ago. No. Maybe two months ago, I was browsing around on stuff on on YouTube, and I found there was an entire YouTube audio recording of the Howard Stern show from September 11th, from 9/11. Oh wow! And I listened 
to that. And of course, it starts off a little bit raw and raunchy, as you might imagine. But as the show was live and events unfolded and the first plane hit uh, one of the towers in New York City um, and, and hearing them get this word as they're live on air. And oh, my th- goodness. And, and, but, and then he stayed on. Uh, his, his audience begged him, please stay on and continue talking to us. We need you. And that is an incredible piece of audio, radio, uh, archive that I, I'll tell you, it's like, as, as I don't consider myself to be a radio guy, but I, I am an audio producer. I'm a, I consider myself to be a professional audio broadcast communicator. Well, of course. And and listening to that gave me a very brand new, newfound, amazing amount of respect for Howard Stern. Mm. And is he is he in New York? Is he yeah. based in New York? Yeah. Oh he, wow. Yeah, New York. He's on Sirius XM Radio. Uh, you know, and and of course, you know, his show is not something I would tune in today. But I do have respect for him for for just who he is as a communicator. Yeah, now, his accomplishment. Yeah. Exactly. But and then of course how he handled nine eleven, um, and just his raw authenticity that he brought was mm. it was inspiring to me. It was it was awe inspiring, and so when I'm flipping through Netflix and it's like okay I'm I'm kind of bored I need something to look into I want to watch something and I and I look to see okay I wonder who David Letterman's got in his queue of people that he's interviewed for this Netflix special now and I saw Howard Stern and so I watched it and this I just watched it three nights ago, and I encourage you John to actually watch this interview with Howard Stern. And I learned, I actually discovered why it is I really like Howard Stern. I, not, not that I'll go and listen to his show because the topic of his show is not, is not what I'm into. But it, it, it is clearly what I like about, what I liked about this whole 9-11, the way he approached that. And the, and, and I, under, it, the say, I didn't know what it was that drew me into his coverage of 9-11 that day. But it is absolutely came out in this interview with David Letterman what I like and why I like him and why he's been so successful. And it has everything to do with the fact that this guy will never beat around the bush and he will only say authentically what is on his mind without any pretense whatsoever. Mm. And Mm. and in this interview, in this interview, David Letterman gets him to pull out out of his childhood why he is that way. And it, it was, I, I was like, I was glued to this interview with Howard Stern. So anyway. That's, I, that's awesome. That sounds refreshing. I'll definitely check it out. Get back with you. Cool. So John, what's been going on in your world? I, I, I realize not everybody in here uh, knows a lot about your story. So um, you're known for people who don't know this, you're known around the world as being the world's probably most infamous, the most amazing George W. Bush impersonator. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, I'd say so. And, and tell, I mean, give us a little bit of background. Tell, remind me how it all began. This, this, was it in Florida? You were working in your mom and dad's appliance store. Is that how I recall? Yes. Um, you know, speaking of free the dream, Back in the early 80s, I was a singer-songwriter and wanted to make it in the music business. I did not but know I, this. Oh, yeah. And I, I had recorded two albums, Cliff. What? And, 
Oh, yeah. And uh, traveled around a bit with my wife and young son. And um, I lacked two real uh, key ingredients to succeed in the music business, um, talent and integrity. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it just, you know, I would, I, would, I would get so excited every time I would book a concert that some money would come into the house that I would just celebrate for the next for the rest of the week, you know, instead of sticking to it and, and, you know, being disciplined and diligent. And so after about starving my family, um, I laid down that music business and went back to work crawling back to mom and dad in the, in the appliance business, something that I swore I would never do as I, you know, let the, let the dust, you know, fall off my feet when I left the place. I mean, I love my mom and dad had a great relationship, but I just didn't feel called to the appliance business. So when I went back there, it was so hard. Um, but I did go back and I thought, well, okay, I'll just come back here. I'll, I'll work real hard. I'll figure out what went wrong and then I'll get back out there. Um, that stretched into about 20 years. And uh, talk about the dream being in a cage. It was, I felt like Moses on the backside of the desert trying to figure out how to get back to Pharaoh, you know? And, uh, and so, you know, during that season, I was so anxious because I didn't want to be in the appliance store, but I was there. And when, and I would beg God in, in prayer, I'd say, God, please don't let me miss your will. Please don't let me miss your will. I must've said that a thousand times, 10,000 times. And then one day I heard in my, in my heart, um, I heard you the first time. <laughs> and that was a huge revelation for me. I said, if I'm supposed to get back out there, I'll know that the time will be clear. It'll, it'll present itself. And that just relieved me of so much inner anxiety. I started to relax and enjoy myself at work. And then one day, uh, George W. Bush uh, ran, decided to run for president, announced his candidacy. And as his face became more and more familiar out in the world, people started tapping me on the shoulder and saying, excuse me, has anybody ever told you you look like George W. Bush? And so I started hearing it all the time, but it never occurred to me that I could do anything with it until the occasion of my mom's 80th birthday party. A friend of the family said, John, you should become a George Bush impersonator. And I'm like, what? What would that, what is that? What are you talking about? And she was in the entertainment business and told me about the emerging, the, the then emerging industry of celebrity lookalikes. Well, Cliff, you know, I, I had friends. <laughs> I had a reputation. <laughs> An impersonator? I mean, the only impersonators I'd ever heard of were Elvis and, and, and maybe Marilyn, you know, and Marilyn Monroe. And I'm like, I, are you crazy? <laughs> Those people are lunatics. <laughs> The last thing I wanted to do was that, and I just told the lady flat out, no way. And so I just dropped it. But my wife heard that interchange and thought, you know, John has the personality for that. That, that might actually be cool. So we sat on that for a few months. And then lo and behold, one night, my wife, I was already in bed. My wife uh, was watching a late night. It was the Jay Leno program. And there was a George Bush impersonator on the Tonight Show. And my wife went, huh. And the thought hit her, do a web search. So she went to the internet and looked up George Bush impersonator. And she found these two guys, the one that was on the TV and this other guy. And she got, dang, 
look how much money they make. <laughs> so she came and woke me up out of a dead sleep and said, I just found your new career. You're going to be a George Bush impersonator. And I'm like, huh, what, what? How did she anyway, find out how much money they make? Is that online somewhere? It was, yeah, you could book them. So the, I mean, oh, the beast, yeah. Right there. And it was more money than I, way more money than I was making. So, I mean, it, it still didn't, I still didn't do it like the next week. I mean, I still had a million reasons why this isn't for me. I, you know, I couldn't handle the embarrassment. I, I couldn't do that. I don't know how to do that. You know, so it, it was still a season of warming up to the idea. And then uh, I finally did a launch and try it. And to my utter shock, um, it totally worked with the audience. And it wasn't every bad thing that I thought it would be. Um, all the things that I was afraid of, none of them happened. And uh, it was just the beginning of an amazing, amazing new career. I've had the privilege of being on all kinds of stages in front of 30,000 people, in front of tens of thousand people, touring with Sean Hannity, being all over the world, on television in Tokyo, uh, China, Holland, Germany. It's just, just been phenomenal. And you've met the president. Yes, I've met him twice, and uh, it was very fun. He put his arm around me. I felt like he was going to give me a noogie, you know. <laughs> He's so friendly. And he, and his, his comment was, if I had a face like mine, I'd be mad as hell. <laughs> I love it. So, wow. Well, I, I would love to camp out in some of those early days. Um, so, so Kathy comes to you and says, I found your new career. And you you didn't immediately jump on board, but uh, you, you talked about some of that. But I'd love to I'd love to hear the day that you told your parents for the first time. What was that like? Um, Not that you were leaving, the, but that you were thinking about actually going out well, and doing one of these gigs. Yeah, it was actually it was actually cool because I didn't tell them I'm leaving Morgan Appliances. I just told them. You know, because they saw it too. They, they, and I, and I just said, you know, that this thing has come up, and uh, I'd like to give it a try. And see, Cliff, my mom, my mom was one of those people who always told me, "You were born for more than this." I mean, that was her mantra to me. And she meant she, this uh, being the appliance store, right? She, see, Dad wanted me to take over the appliance store. Mom wanted me out of there as soon as possible so that I could free the dream. She saw something in me that was more than selling refrigerators. Would you say she, she saw something in you way before you saw it in yourself? No. No, I wouldn't say that because I saw it when I was five years old. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. And, and my, my classmates beat it out of me. <laughs> Explain. Tell me. Give me a little bit more behind that. Well, when I was three, my parents gave me a three or four, I don't know, I don't obviously remember with vivid detail, but my parents gave me a little record player and mom would buy 45 records at the thrift store and just bring them home by the dozens. And I would sit and listen to those uh, by, records. By the way, just real quickly, for those of you who are younger than John and I, uh, <laughs> what he just said there, he, his, his, his mom did not buy 45 records by the Dovesons, 45 RPM records, which was a smaller record than the big, anyway. So I just wanted to clarify, I know there are yeah. some people, believe it or not, have no idea what a 45 RPM <laughs> record is. That's, that's true. They're, they're about eight inches in diameter. It's about the size of a small Frisbee with a larger than average 
hole in the middle and it was set down on a record and 45 was the speed yep. which your turntable would go 45 rpms and basically there'd be one song on one side and one song on the other side and uh I, music was my life cliff okay. i loved it i i sang all the time i mean i slept with my record player in my crib i must have been pretty young because i had a crib still and i would scream if one of my records fell out of the crib and my dad would come in with a look on his face like can we give this child back? <laughs> you know, um, so so I had a dream before I even knew what dreaming was. So tell, and, tell, tell me about these kids that beat it out of you. I, w- I want to hear that story. Well, nobody was interested in my dream when I hit kindergarten. You know, because uh, you know, I I I I arrived with a tada and was quickly hit with a water hose. And I'm like, nobody wants your tada. You're a jerk. You're an idiot. You know, and I became like on day one of kindergarten, the kid, at least it was that way in my perception, to tease. And so in a very small amount of time, I went from thinking that I was something really special to thinking that I was really an idiot for thinking that I was really something special. So and fr- so from the time you were a kid, you knew that you were meant for something more. You you felt like you had a gift. You felt like you you had this dream but but it sounds to me like these kids had watered that down. So so how did how did the how did the dream stay alive inside of you? Did it kind of um, did it did it kind of go from this flame that you were feeling? You know, it's like I, I, this music is my life to where they poured some water on it, and you've just been kind of this burning ember that's just been sitting there, but would reignite if given the opportunity and given the right oxygen environment. Cliff. That is the exact picture that was in my head as you were saying that. Before you started saying that, ember is exactly the the, the picture that I had in my mind. It's, it's, it's like an ember that wouldn't die out, but wouldn't ignite. It's kind of like and, a campfire because when I was a kid, you know, my parents would take me camping upstate New York. And, and I remember the night before, you know, we'd have this raging campfire. And the very, you know, and then of course, before we went to bed at night, we would pour water all over it. I mean, you, it smoked like crazy. And, and by all appearances, you can this, hear it. Yeah. yeah. It's like this fire is gone. And, and that was before we went to bed. And of course, we'd get up the, I would get up before my mom and dad. And I'm out there, and of course, I'm a little firebug, right? And so I, I'm going out, and I'm finding dead leaves and stuff like that. And be, before you know it, it's like it's been six hours. And when we went to bed six hours ago, we thought this fire was out. But by golly, I found that it, you you could actually uh, put some dead leaves on there and blow real hard, and you see a little bit of red flicker underneath that that ash, and and right. and you give it the right amount of oxygen, and you got a flame again. Um, but it, but it, if you don't have the right environment, you can't flourish. That flame will never come back. Gosh, Cliff, that sounds like the recipe for a conference. <laughs> so 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 how how long how long was the ember hidden inside of you without an outlet? Um, every once in a while, I would have an outlet, and I actually wrote about this later. Um, in third grade, uh, my teacher picked me to be King George the Dragon Slayer in our play. And that was, uh, and I did it, but I was so scared. I, uh, I, I actually wet my pants on stage. <laughs> really? I'm not sure anybody knew it under my, uh, night outfit, but, uh, I did. And, and so, and then in sixth grade, um, I wrote a poem 
And um, my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Krell, uh, gave me a special spotlight to shine in that in that moment. And it's amazing, Cliff. I have two or three instances where someone saw the ember and 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 put a few leaves on it and and blew it a little. And 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 those people who loved me enough to allow me to shine just a little bit are permanently etched in my heart as people that I will always treasure and love. And, um, and so that, that happened again in high school. Uh, I was in the drama club at high school for all four years. We, we had a four-year Catholic uh, high school. And um, I would always pick the, I, I loved uh, drama and theater and all that, but I always would pick safe little parts because of my uh, broken dream. And so I would do my little part that wasn't hard, that was easy to memorize. And then in um, my senior year, um, we had the, the, the play 1984, which by George Orwell. This was back in 1974. And my drama teacher, she said, you know, I'm going to uh, assign, I'm going to award the lead. We're not going to audition for the lead in the play. Um, you know, we were, we were there for auditions. Everybody was there. I had already picked out my little, you know, tiny part that I was going to audition for. And she said, I'm going to give it to John Morgan. And everybody started clapping and cheering. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? I must have turned 13 shades of purple. I was, I was flustered, embarrassed. I, 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 I was completely flabbergasted. I thanked everyone. And then because of fear, the very next day, I quit the drama club. Wow. Yeah. 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 That, this is crazy for me to hear because the John Morgan I know, um, we obviously met in February of whether that was 2012, 2013. I have no idea. But I do know that about a year and a half later, my family and I went on a cruise and we were in Florida for an extra day for some Disney World excursions. Or we were there for a couple days, actually. And I had some extra time and I hosted a meetup at some uh, barbecue place down in Florida. And you came to that, that meetup. And, yes, I did. And the John C. Morgan I know doesn't just get up on st- stage with bold confidence and, and entertain the socks off of people. But the John C. Morgan I know, that day, what was that called? Five Seasons or Six Rivers or something? Four, you're close. Four Rivers. <laughs> okay. So four, four Rivers barbecue shop down in Orlando. And... And John, this place, I mean, is packed full. And John, and and it's all these picnic tables and stuff like this. It's like community eating style or whatever. John climbs up, not onto the, he doesn't just stand up and climb up onto onto the seat on this picnic table. But no, he goes all the way up to the top. He's standing on the tabletop and he, I don't, I think you had something in your hands and you clanged and made noise. You got you made sure you had the absolute undivided attention of every single person in that restaurant, and then you made it a point to introduce the entire restaurant to who to me and saying, "Hey, just wanted to let you know who you're." It's like, what the heck is this all about? <laughs> who is this guy? And I, I was embarrassed, but here to think that you used to have this fear of getting in front of people and talking—it just blows my mind. Yeah, that the, the dream got freed. <laughs> so, 
So that's awesome. You know, real quickly, just as a side tangent, what an opportunity you just gave all of us to think about the the opportunity that we all have, which is to be on the lookout for embers uh, that are are glowing inside of children and young adults and maybe not so young middle-aged adults and maybe some retirees. Uh, but the opportunity that each of us have every day to recognize glowing embers in the lives of someone else and and maybe maybe lay a couple uh, dirty leaves next there you know dead leaves and on top of it and 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 give it a little blow and and encourage someone and say hey I see this in you I think you've got something here to share that word of encouragement with people on a daily basis I think would be awesome. What an amazing opportunity that each of us have if if we'll take our eyes off ourselves long enough to, to look around and see who needs to hear that voice of encouragement. And those of us who are parents, wow, every day we have this opportunity to speak that encouragement into our kids' lives. Our, like I said, man, I, 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 I was just prompted while you were telling your story. It's like, man, I, what have I done today to, to fan the flame on somebody's ember uh, recently. And and you know what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to write myself a note. I'm actually, I'm going to send myself an email and I'm going to add that to my daily affirmation that I am committed to flanning the flame uh, or something like that. I, I'm going to, I'm writing it here to myself. Affirmation, fan the flame slash ember in others. So I'll- And I'll, what, I'll, what, what I- um, what I uh, heard in this in the same amount of time as you were coming up with that inspiration was um, the possibility of writing a song called Embers. Ooh, I love that! Wow, I I love to hear that. Wow. So anyway, John. I, so you, so basically, you've had this oper- You've had these people that have have you know kept helped keep the ember alive. You know, it, it's 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 been fanned and 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 nurtured along the way here and there. Uh, it obviously came out long enough for you to go out and create a couple albums and and try to make it on your own and stuff like that, as you you alluded to earlier. By the way, are these al- albums available anywhere? Can like if I'm on Apple Music, can I go find John C. Morgan? No, that that's something that uh, is yet to be. It needs to be, but it's yet to be because everything has to be digitized, you know. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, but uh, but I am actually working on a on a recording right now. You know, so it'll I, be my my third recording is uh, in the works. What I do know about you, John, is that uh, you are a musician and you're extremely talented these days. Uh, at least ever since I've known you, you're very talented. I, I remember you've. Every time you actually spoke at a lot of the a majority of the platform conferences as well, or at least at least more, you spoke at more than one, right? Um, I actually just did some drive-bys. You know, uh, I spoke at the first one, yeah, and then I just kind of showed up at some of the other ones. Yeah, I I've seen you more than once uh, perform. So you 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 definitely did some music. Uh, at the very first free the or at the very first platform conference, um, I've also seen uh, the, one song that you've done that is absolutely amazing is your your cover of Hallelujah, the Jeff Buckley song, or I get, uh, who else was it before him that wrote it? Right. Well, it was written by Leonard Cohen. That's it, Leonard and Cohen. It, yeah, Jeff Buckley's version is fantastic. 
But, but you, uh, yeah, you wrote I, a version of it from it was George W. Bush, right? Or uh, no, George it, W. Bush singing to Donald Trump is called "Ode to Donald Trump." <laughs> yes, I, may, maybe you'll do that one at Free the Dream. What do you think? Uh, well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, but that, that is one of my favorite songs that I've, I've heard you do just cause I'm a huge fan of that song personally, but, but yeah, extremely talented anyway. Um, so I t- tell me real quickly, when, when did you decide that, um, you, you could probably make a living doing this George W. Bush impersonation thing. So you're, you work, you're working for mom and dad at the appliance shop. You've been there for 20 years. The, the dream is kind of fizzled out but now all of a sudden this opportunity comes out from the time you from the time kathy comes to you and says i found you your new career um how long and how many gigs did you do before you decided to say mom dad i'm going out and i'm doing this for a living instead well you know i had this sense in my heart for those 20 years when i wasn't doing anything there was a, a, a dream, the dream literally that, that you're talking about was inside me, uh, wanting to burst forth, but the timing wasn't right. I didn't know what the dream would look like. And it was uh, when, you know, I prayed about it after Kathy had said that, and I felt uh, the release at that point to go ahead and, and, and it was funny because I kept feeling like, there's going to be something, but I have no idea what it is. And when I realized that that's what it was, I was a little ticked because <laughs> I'm like, really? I really, you know, cause it seemed so crazy. Um, but I did it part time, uh, for a year, uh, while working at the appliance store. And then after, and actually the, it was interesting that the very day that George Bush won reelection, you may recall, he ran against John Kerry and John Edwards was his running mate. And the day uh, the election results were announced, I knew. It's, it's, it wasn't like I was planning it. I, you know, I, I didn't have uh, days counting up to it where I thought, if he wins, I'm in. Um, I just knew that morning when I woke up. And the weird thing is, Kathy, my wife, had the same sense. It's time. It's time for us to go talk to your mom and dad and do this full time. And so I invited mom and dad to lunch. We, we went to a restaurant downtown and I can still, I can still remember it like it was yesterday saying, mom, dad, we believe that this is what we're supposed to do. And both of them gave us a hearty yes. They, they were on board all the way and uh, gave us their blessing. And I, you know, I haven't looked back since. That is awesome. So by that time was where you you were doing it part time and probably at the place where maybe the the income from doing that was probably equaling your full time job. Is that kind of how that far, worked? Yeah, far surpassing it. Far surpassing it. Yeah. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. So so you you go full time. How long ago was that when you when you had that lunch with mom and dad and told them you're going into this full time? When was that? How many years ago? Fourteen years. So 14 years, you've pretty much made your living full-time from this entertaining thing, entertaining crowds of people as an impersonator. Is that correct? And no one, I mean, no one saw it succeeding the way it has. Um, I I did, but I mean, uh, almost no one else did. And 
people toward the end of uh, W's presidency, people kept saying, John, do you, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? And uh, I said, I'm just going to trust God and, and keep working and keep going. And, you know, I definitely had a downturn um, when the new president was elected. And as you may recall, that simultaneously the economy tanked. Uh, but I just kept pursuing and I had a real dark night of the soul when I thought, what am I going to do? Um, but I don't want to give away everything that I'm going to share at the conference. Um, and not that all of this is going to be shared at the conference, but uh, I will say that my mettle was tested uh, as a result of uh, differing economic times. And I had to decide, is this dream worth pursuing, even when it is frighteningly close to collapsing? Right. And it and it has has and it's taken, you know, it's 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 grown. It's it's, uh, you know, I've as you know, I've become a writer now. I've got two books that I've written, uh, and they're comedic and yet they teach, and so it's it's been fun that something so quirky has become an avenue for the dream within me to find expression. Yeah. There, there's one more thing that I want to pull out in our conversation here, and and it's because I know this won't actually make it into the the actual talk. Is I, I would love to hear what you did as it relates to this idea of role modeling. I don't know if you're familiar with the with the term, but role modeling is simply uh, it's find somebody who is already achieving success in an area that you want to achieve success in. And then go out and find out what they're doing and then what actions those people are taking to achieve that level of success. And then go and duplicate that. Take those actions yourself and see if they work for you. Um, how much of that did you do in, in your early journey to, to get you the success to where you can make it these 14 years? Well, to be honest with you, I'm still doing it. Good. That's, that's, uh, that's exactly how I started. Um, I mean, an impersonator impersonates right <laughs> and so you know i took the best of what other people were already doing and uh tweaked it for myself and simply duplicated it as best i could and uh pretty soon it became my own pretty soon it you know it started sounding more like me and and it had my own my own on authentic suddenly i can't think of how to say authentic authentic Auth What's the word? Uh, authentic. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, that's all right. We we. So I've been, hang, uh, I've been hanging around George Bush too long. <laughs> authentic, authentic. What you you know? You butcher words when you're a, a Bush impersonator. It's just kind of part of what you do, you know. Yes. So synergicity. It's, it's uh, a good synergicity. <laughs> yes. So it became my own. Let's just put it that way, and um, and then I began to be able to share with others what I learned. And it's been a joy to do that, to, to help, um, if you will, blow on those embers of other people and, and help them to free the dream within themselves. Yeah, I, I, I imagine all kinds of opportunities that now exist for your next seasons of life, of, of being able to share from your experiences and helping other people you know who knows who who's out there ready to to break out into the world of professional impersonation or professional speaking or or just whatever the case may be there's so many opportunities that exist for you beyond what you're doing now As a matter of fact it's one of the things that I'm excited about 
Um, I think it's safe for me to say this, but I'm excited to announce. I think this will be one of your the first times, maybe, where you're not actually coming to the stage as George W. Bush or any other personation that you're doing. You're actually coming to free the dream by my request as John C. Morgan, professional right. communicator and entertainer, because I see that. It, it, I, as far as I'm concerned, I don't need. George, you, I don't need your impersonation of George W. Bush because it, while that is a part of your story, and I'm sure that that's going to be included in your talk and some of the things that you share, but you know, I, 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 the value that I find in our relationship is who you are as a person, the 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 bold actions that you take in spite of the fears that you face, and the fact that you just. You you have faith in God that the next step will make itself known, and when when it's known, John C. Morgan's a guy who takes it, and that's a guy that I want to come. This friend of mine, that's the guy, and the message I want him to bring to this stage. Well, that's that's really exciting for me, Cliff, um, because that's the way I want to live. My. Uh, I, I remember when I was challenged to to go and speak at a comedy club in L.A. Uh, I had this paradigm that says, one thing you never do, you never speak at a comedy club, especially in L.A., because those people will eat you alive. <laughs> you know, I mean, audiences, they're they're used to profanity. They're used to the, you know, the, the hard hitting, you know, fast talking com- comedians that are the A-listers. I mean, I, I, to step onto that stage. <laughs> You know, I, I, in my mind was just, uh, you might as well just put your head in a guillotine, you know, as far as your career is concerned. And yet someone challenged me to do it. And because I speak on overcoming fear, I couldn't say no. It was like the time my wife, my wife is a daredevil. She drives me crazy. <laughs> uh, on my 40th birthday, we, we went to Las Vegas and she said, oh, I've got two choices for you. She had two brochures in her hand. She says, we can either go explore the Grand Canyon or we could go skydiving. <laughs> and it's like she had my man card in her hand. <laughs> so, Which one are you going to do, babe? <laughs> and it's like, I can't say no because, you know, here it is. My wife, the lady, is really wants to go skydiving so so that was another thing i had to overcome that fear in order to maintain my position as the man of the house <laughs> so i assume you guys went skydiving then yes that's awesome i love and it. even though i almost died because the chute didn't open properly oh no <laughs> i've i've done it three times since wow that's incredible uh, yeah well, here's the one thing I know. If, if folks come to the Free the Dream conference, they're actually going to laugh their butts off. They are going to be wildly entertained, uh, and they're going to be touched in an amazing way, and they're going to walk away uh, with the techniques and tools that are necessary for them to overcome and defeat fear the next time they come face-to-face with it. Yes. John... For those who are thinking to come to this conference, what is it that excites you about this event, and why do you think people should come? I'm really angry about something, Cliff. I 
I have this personal vendetta uh, against fear because it robbed from me it, and it has robbed from my loved ones all my life. And nothing in this world brings me greater joy than seeing people understand and overcome fear and step into that for which they were created. Absolutely. That, my friends, is exactly why Free the Dream exists. There are some of you who are hearing our voice, and you know for a fact you've had this question, this thought that's been going through your mind. It's like, I wonder what life would be like if I could do this for a living instead. There are these gifts, these talents, these abilities. This There's experiences you have. There's areas of expertise where you could go out and find a way to create work that allows you to make more money than you ever dreamed possible, but also to, at the same time, add value to people's lives in ways that are not possible in any other way, shape, or form. There is work in this world that you were uniquely gifted to do, called to do in this world, and you know it deep down inside. That ember is there, and the purpose of the Free the Dream Conference is to put you into the right oxygen-rich environment to get the glowing ember to rekindle the flame. And that is exactly what I know that John C. Morgan and the other speakers on the stage at the Free the Dream conference are going to do for you. So we encourage you to head over to freethedream.live. That's freethedream.live and register for your ticket today. John, thank you so much for everything that you are in this world and where and how you show up in this world. And I can't wait to see you, my friend, in September at Free the Dream. See you in September. Well, my friends, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Stay tuned. More introductions to the speakers that will be coming to the Free the Dream in the weeks ahead. I am super stoked. Don't forget, head over to freethedream.live, freethedream.live. Get your ticket today. Until next time, my friends, I encourage you to take everything you do to the next level.